This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Tuesday, November 14th, 2017. I'm in Morocco, and I'm joined by Paul O'Brien. Hi, Paul. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Yourself? I'm great. Uh, I'm taking a break, actually. It's nice to not have to be too hectic with my life for a change. Mm-hmm. Um, tell, you, tell the audience, tell the listeners what you do, Paul, because I mean, I know, but not everybody might be up to date on that. Yeah, so I'm kind of probably best known for uh, my presence on Modico. So I've been running that for about oh, 15 years now, probably something like that, um, as a initially started as a Windows mobile community and more an Android community nowadays. But um, followers of me on Twitter, at Paul O'Brien, will probably have noticed that I'm kind of semi-retired from that nowadays. So I'm not doing so much on the ROM side of things or development side of things as I was. Um, Still doing reviews, um, writing freelance for some publications in the UK. Um, I have a consultancy, mobile consultancy, which... uh, Works with Me a number too. Of, it's, it's number um, of companies. It's amazing so. <laughs> how many of us journalists are doing consulting? I mean, it, it's it's a great way to run your your life. You know, I think for me, running my own business makes a huge difference, and it's certainly more lucrative than being a freelance journalist, right? Mm. I think the, you know, the reality. I mean, it's good. I enjoy keeping up the writing and doing that side of things, but from a financial perspective, you know, you, when you build up that level of expertise. You know, it is much more lucrative to go and, you know, kind of work with companies on helping them with their products. Um, I've been approached in the past by a number of people looking to release devices who want advice on ROMs, on testing, on, you know, all aspects of bringing a device in from China and selling it in Europe. So, and I mean, it's, it's really interesting work to do and it's good to keep what we're doing varied, isn't it? As I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, my consulting is more around, you know, uh, I do some PR, but mostly I kind of am a behind the scenes person helping young hardware startups navigate the product, marketing, media relations and Mm. crowdfunding waters in a more um, productive way, as I should say. As you know, a lot of companies have great engineering talent, but when it comes to, you know, connecting with their future communities, things are a little rough around the edges. Hmm. So hmm. that's where I come in. Um, anyway, let's talk about phones. Um, I do hmm. want to talk about ROMs a little bit, of course, because you're kind of like the ROM expert <laughs> in many ways still, even though it's retired yeah. for you. But at the same time, you know, there are, uh, you know, we're just at the edge here. I think two days from now, the OnePlus 5T will launch. So obviously I want to talk about your thoughts hmm. on on OnePlus in general and the 5 and what we've heard, the rumors are about the 5T. Um, mm. Yeah, what's your take in general of what's, uh, what, we, what we've heard so far? Um, I think, you know, overwhelmingly, um, the, the 5T is going to be effectively a OnePlus 5 with the new tool format screen, um, which allows it to complete with the likes of the, you know, V30 and even the SA, SA Plus, no, those kind of devices. Um I don't really foresee any other changes. I think, you know, it'll be slightly more expensive potentially, but broadly similar. Um, I think it's what OnePlus needs to do. I mean, when you pick up a device now that's got a 
conventional know, right? large large top and bottom bezel i mean one of my favorite phones at the moment is um still the u11 yes but when i switch back to that having used you know all the new devices that have come out in the past you know month or two it feels pretty old school um but it is Indeed. purely the screen isn't it because all the insides and you know this is why it kind of makes sense that the 5t is just a screen upgrade you know we're snapdragon 835 is still the latest processor um oneplus always shoved loads of ram in their devices you know plenty of storage that kind of thing yeah um, no absolutely i think i think you're right the the uh, one, the u11 is a phenomenal phone but it does feel so old-fashioned when you pick it up and it's to me it's not so much the aspect ratio obviously i do like the two to one aspect ratio i've gotten used to it and i really enjoy it it's more those bezels they're just so monumental you know mm. to today's standards and i think that's what I like to see. And, and we've seen the Mate 10, right? You have yeah. one. I believe you have the Mate 10 Pro. We can talk about that. Um, it's not available in the US yet, but I did get a hands-on with, with both units. The, the Mate 10 has very small bells on top and bottom, mm. but keeps the 69 aspect ratio. And it does feel modern despite being, you know, not ultra wide, right? Um, of course, the P10 Pro is is an ultra wide display, but you know, I think it's kind mm. of necessary. And speaking of the U11 Plus that was recently announced, solves that problem, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I feel like we always have the same conversation with HTC, which is a device comes out and you're like, oh, if only the last device was like this one. Kind of thing. If, you <laughs> it's know, if ongoing, they, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, more more with them than everyone else. You know, I think you know if the U11 had been what the U11 Plus is this time, they would have genuinely been able to compete with. Well, maybe maybe they would be more likely to compete with the lights of Samsung. But yeah, I don't well, know. I don't know what it is about HTC. I, I mean, I'm sure you have the same affection for them as a company that absolutely. you know I have as well. And it's it seems to be a very common thing, you know, in the industry. So, you know, I had I had uh, Fabian uh, from HTC, who's the head of European product on my podcast last week, and he actually explained that, you know, the biggest issue in getting that, you know, in the reason they did the one, the, the U11 Plus, at least the, the official reason mm -hmm. is that they couldn't get the number of displays they needed in time for the launch of the U11, basically. Yeah, it, yeah. This is something they really wanted to do, the white screen, the small bezels, but they couldn't do it because they couldn't get the quantities they needed. And so they had to kind of delay it basically. And you yeah. know, they knew this was gonna happen early on enough that they were able to basically work on these two devices. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways of looking at that, though, isn't there? There's first of all, you know, HTC actually don't sell that many devices in the overall scheme of things, so they shouldn't need to get that many screens, but then when you flip that round, they actually don't have the power in the industry that they used to have to kind of demand priority access to these bits of hardware. I mean, it, I, it wasn't that many years ago when HTC would go to Qualcomm and say, we want your latest chip and we want to have, you know, the first shipment of it and they would get it. But they're in a very different space now, of course. Absolutely. And um, I mean, you know, like, as you as you said, I think we both feel very strongly about how much we love HTC. Um, mm. In fact, I've been playing with uh, and reviewing the U11 Life, the mm. non-Android one, the US model. And, you know, I'm a bit disappointed with the materials because I wish it was metal and glass, but I know at the price point, it's very difficult, especially when the experience is so close. It's like 90% mm. of a full-on U11 experience. The camera yeah. is really great, um, despite the very, you know, 
boring specs on paper. Mm -hmm. The whole package is phenomenal. And and I think, you know, um, you know, I think the U11 Plus is going to be a, we're all going to love that phone when we get our hands on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I kind of, I felt for a long time that HCC really need a kind of killer mid-range phone to kind of, you know, increase their sales, bring their kind of exposure up. You know, it's great having a decent flagship, but really, you know, the money is made in the mid-range. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think uh, I haven't I haven't had hands on with the life yet, but yeah, it do, it does look pretty good. I don't know if it's slightly too expensive. I mean, I don't know how you feel about the US pricing. I actually my initial gut feeling about it was it was slightly too expensive, but honestly, after using it, Paul, it mm. is so close to U eleven experience, and you're still getting that for half the price of a U eleven. Yeah, you know, I mean, you're getting the Usonic earbuds, you're getting the edge sense squeeze feature, the display yeah. is really good, the camera is really good, and it's a 630, right? It's not as fast as an 835, mm. but you know the 630 holds its own. I mean, unless you're gaming hardcore, you're not going to notice much of a difference, yeah, especially it's the on same. a 1080p display. Yeah, just like the 625, which, you know, it wasn't a fast chip by any means, but, you know, it's so frugal. Um, and it was such good value, you know, the 630 kind of follows on from that. I mean, it, what are your thoughts on, and I get asked this quite a lot, you know, do people need to buy flagships nowadays? You know, are people best just going for the mid-range and refreshing more frequently? I mean, I think we're, I, I'm not sure I would say go buy a mid-range phone. I mean, unless you're very clear to me about your budget limitations and you say, you know, I can only afford mm. X amounts of euros. Um, I would say that um, if you do have that limitation, you are no longer in a place where you're mm. missing out. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'll yeah. give you an example of a phone that, at least in the U.S., is a remarkably affordable phone for its uh, for its you know experience. Um, forget the specs. I mean, it's about does the my my assessment is could I live with this phone on a day to day basis? And the phone mm. I'm referring to is the Moto E4. In yeah, the US, yeah. it is 80 US dollars. Hmm. Okay. It's rem it's it's a little uh discounted there because they were selling it uh as a prepaid phone for Verizon. And I tell you, I was amazed. Yes, of course it's a low mid-range, right? Like I mean, almost hmm. a low-end phone, but it felt just fine. I was using it and I'm like, you know. I could live with this phone. If I was yeah. completely stuck on a severe financial crunch and I couldn't afford anything, this would do. And I could mm. never say that about a, an entry-level phone, you know, and now, you know, two, three hundred dollars or two, three hundred euros buys you a really, really mm. great experience. And if you go to the four, five hundred range, you know, you get one plus, right? And, and that's, yeah. as we know, a pretty solid proposition. Yeah, we had a, a device in the UK called the Lenovo P2. Um, and yes. it had uh, Snapdragon 65, a 5,000 milliamp hour battery, um, a really acceptable camera, 4 gig of RAM, 32 gig of storage, and it was under 200 pounds, which is, you know, pr pretty low end for the UK. And uh, yeah, I could, you know, I know plenty of people rocking that as their everyday phone. I could very easily live with it as my main phone. Um, so I yeah. think the way we really get the big difference between um, mid-range and flagship for me at the moment is camera. 
Yeah. I think, and, and that's Definitely. something that's really important to me in my devices. I think battery life and camera are two things that will kind of determine which phone I'm going to use on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, and, I don't I mean, know. What, you know as, is that your keep criteria? Their memories, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know me, I'm an imaging you know, person. I've mm. always been a camera phone person since, you know, the dawn of the cam of the smartphone, mm -hmm. even pre-smartphone, my feature phones, I always emphasize the camera. I was one of, you know, I was, I bought one of the first uh, Sony Ericsson phones that had autofocus because mm. I knew I would get a better camera experience. Uh, this was the, uh, the K750i, also known as the W800 Walkman phone. Yeah, I remember um, that one. Yeah. It came in two flavors. It came in a Walkman version and a Cybershot version, but they were essentially the same phone with the yeah, same the camera and the same music features. Wasn't and the at Walkman the time, one white and orange or something? Is that right? Yeah, correct. The WH-100 <laughs> was. And at the time, it had a two megapixel autofocus camera, and it was one of the first on the market with autofocus. And, you know, immediately it meant shallow depth of field. It meant, you know, macro shots that looked real. Um, hmm. And... And, wor and it worked for micro shots, unlike other phones. Some phones at the time had a little physical switch that would swap lenses to a macro lens, but there was very few devices with autofocus. Anyway, I'm digressing, but the point I'm making mm -hmm. is, yeah, cameras are really important to me. But I think today people are realizing that they need to trust their memories, right, to these cameras. Mm. And they don't want to take chances. They want to capture the right shot the first time. And, and this is where I think, you know, this past year has been, you know, a leap forward in camera performance, starting with mm. last year's Pixel. Uh, and then, you know, we've seen everyone really live up to, you know, to that to that level or or go beyond it. And the Pixel 2, I think this year uh, is is redefining that, you know, is, is again mm. raising the bar that everybody else has to meet. And I yeah. think software photography, I mean, computational photography, you know, where software plays a huge role in the process is becoming, is going to give people the edge, right? Like the companies that do best yeah. are going to be the ones who master that. And Google clearly is showing that AI with a huge data set, which they have through, you know, all, all the image search stuff that they do. And of course, storing everybody's photos on Google Photos is giving them that edge. And and I think that's why it's so good. It's not so much that the camera hardware is good. I mean, it's it's up there in terms of yeah. performance and the ISP and all that processing is really is strong too. But I think it's the algorithms and the data sets that they have. And, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see when they open up that new chip that they have in the Pixel 2s, right? The Pixel yeah. Core yeah. or whatever. Because then, you know, we're going to really know what, what it can do. So, <laughs> so do you think... Here's an interesting one. So uh, getting a little bit onto customization here. Sure. Um, a lot of people have seen improved performance from their camera by sideloading Google Camera App. Uh -huh. um, and if they've got a Snapdragon 820 or newer processor, they have that ISP so they can kind of reap the benefits. Do you think Google should be limiting that just to their Pixel devices or do you think they should be making that the Google Camera App more widely available as they did previously? Well, I, in an ideal world, I think they should be making it widely available. But I do think that today it's such a com, you know, competitive advantage for them. And more importantly, mm. you know, Google has been going through this, I think, renaissance of, you, maybe renaissance is not the right word. Some 
some of the listeners and some of your listeners, for sure, uh, people who follow you might disagree strongly here, is Google has been working to become more vertically integrated into, uh, you know, very tight hardware, software, cloud experience, which, as we know, Apple has been very successful with. Mm -hmm. And that's why we now have the Pixel phones instead of the Nexus phones. This is kind of their goal uh, is to create, a, you know, a very tight integration there. And I think the user experience always improves when you have a tight integration of these things. Um, and so they're probably going to want to keep this to themselves. I think what Google should do is make the last year's Pixel camera now available to any phone that has an 820 or higher, and then make the Pixel 2 proprietary to the Pixel 2, which obviously, as you know, hackers will find a way to implement mm -hmm. on other 835 phones. But I think yeah. that would be smart because then you're kind of like, giving everybody a chance to have a great experience, right? Mm. Do you think, um, I mean, it's getting a bit kind of deep here. I mean, are Google doing the right thing? We do deep here, don't worry. This is what this podcast <laughs> is all about. So are Google what doing the right thing? Question? Yeah, are Google doing the right thing by wanting to keep things for themselves and sell lots of pixels? I mean, obviously, in you know, a few years ago, the Nexus was, you know, Google doesn't want to sell loads of devices, but they want to show manufacturers how to build good Android phones. You know, Pixel's a bit different. Um, should they I should they be competing with their, their own OEMs for Android in this way? I mean, what's your feeling? I think it's going to only benefit the Google ecosystem, the Android ecosystem in the long run. I, I think we've seen that with Microsoft taking reins of the Surface products. Um, mm. You know, HP and Dell are now trying to reach that level of quality of what Surface brings us. And I think, and you know, arguably Samsung and LG are pretty close and have been there very, very much so for a while. But if you look at the S8 and the Note 8 this year, and I, and I, say, and I say the S8, I include the S8 Plus, the user experience from Samsung is finally way more palatable to somebody mm. like me who's a purist, right? Uh, yeah. th this is the first Samsung phone I reviewed where I didn't feel in the first hour that I wanted to throw it against a concrete wall from mm -hmm. how customized the Android experience was. And so to me, that tells me that Google has had a very strong influence on where the mm. bar is set for user experience and consistency in user experience. The fact that you can swap the bottom, the button, sorry, on the galaxies mm. now to have the back button on the left, which as we all know, is exactly the right way. There is no other way here. You can argue with <laughs> me until your head goes black, not happening. I believe that standards matter. I want to be able to switch Android phones and not have to rethink how I use them. And I don't think that's much to ask. Yeah. And I believe that a lot of people who do ROMs do ROMs in great part because they want more of a pure Android experience on these yeah. phones that are traditionally very heavily skinned. And this yeah. is changing. The heavily skinned thing is no longer a thing. So um, to go back you know, to your even Huawei, I mean, you have a you know you've been using all the least mm. the recent Huawei phones. They're somewhat palatable now. Do you remember just two years ago how bad a P8 was? Yeah, yeah, totally. Going back to your Microsoft analogy that and the Surface, the difference with the Surface compared to the Pixel, for example, is that there's no Microsoft software on there that they're kind of not making available to effectively competitors. So the Surface is a bit more of a Nexus. Well, pixel, they don't, it? it's not as obvious the software, but I tell you this, having finally received a Surface laptop to play with recently, 
and being a longtime Mac user, the Surface Laptop, and I've, you know, and I have an XPS 13 2 in 1 right now on, for review. I have a HP X360 to review. These are all brand new laptops, right? So I have a point of reference here. The Surface Laptop is the first and only Windows based laptop I have ever used where the out of box experience was completely seamless and perfect and immediately usable in every way, which is what I mean by uh, when I say as a Mac user, because as a Mac, everything just works out of the box. You never have to worry about upgrading or updating anything. It just works. You might have to update the OS, but that's seamless. Whereas on even the XPS 13 2-in-1 I have, I still have some trackpad issues and some sleep issues and some other things that are not 100% right. And to me, that is not the experience I want. So I truly believe that Microsoft is not making a fuss about it, but they're Mm. certainly creating drivers to interface with their trackpad, their touchscreen, their different Intel chipsets in there that are maybe not custom to them, but are definitely well curated to give you a really good experience out of the box and to continue keeping that good experience. And it's not as visible in terms of software as what we see on Pixel, but I do believe it's there, very much so. Yeah, it's interesting actually to see, for me personally, so for years I bought ThinkPads, you know, like 20 years ago or something, and then I switched to iMac and MacBook Pro, and I'm now kind of back in a split between the Windows world and the Linux world. But it's interesting to see how Uh uh Windows has come on in the past couple of years. You know, Windows 10 really has changed the game. I'm honestly very happy with Windows 10. Mm. It's the first time in a long time where I feel like, yeah, I could switch to a Surface product. Not sure I'd be willing to switch to an Asus or Dell or HP quite yet. Although they've they've been cacked, you know, they've been... uh, you know, what's the word? They've been pulled kind of kicking and screaming into mm. having to improve themselves because of Microsoft and others, you know? Mm. So I think this is, again, this is a good thing. I think, I don't think Android is losing out on this. And I hate to say this, but my perspective is is very much one of pure Android. Google's Android is the best Android. I'm sorry mm. to say that. Some people will disagree. But I really truly believe that's what it is because it's the Android that gets updated, that gets the security patches, and that is the purest representation of what the creator of Android wants this product to be. Mm. And as such, all the Chinese versions of Android are crap, in my opinion. <laughs> if you don't have Google Play services, you do not matter. Now, don't get me wrong. A huge amount of my clients are based in Asia, and I travel mm. there very regularly, and I know that the reality is that... There's billions of people using Android without Google Play Mm. services. I accept that. I understand that. But I'm saying to you, to me, that's not really Android. That's Mm. Android Lite or using the open source parts of Android to have a core operating system. That's, to me, Google is about the services. Android is about the services. You know, if I... You know, I know half of the people I know are working in tech, whether they're journalists or work in tech because they're in the Bay Area, where, you know, for better or for worse, is the epicenter of technology in the world today, at least software. Um, these people, a lot of them use iPhones, hmm. surprisingly or not, but all of them have heavy amounts of Google services products on their phones as their main apps, which yeah. tells you something. 
Hmm. Right? We live in a Google world. And for better or for worse, uh, there's lots of cans of worms around that privacy, whatever mm. you want to call it. But when you see what giving your data does to AI and to mm. what kind of benefits you can reap back from that, to me, it's it's a no brainer. You, you, of course, you do that. You know. Mm. So that's my perspective. And so as such, you know, that's why I've been a Nexus user since the Nexus One and a Pixel user now. Um, you know, it's always my primary device. Of course, there's many devices I love. I love my V30. I love my Galaxy Note 8 and my S8. And I love my OnePlus 5. And I'm going to love my OnePlus 5T and my U11, <laughs> my U11 Plus, my essential phone, which we're going to talk about. But I think in the end, mm. you know, yes, I'm mad that there's no headphone jack on my Pixel 2 XL. <laughs> And the screen has issues, but frankly, overall, the experience is so brilliantly good. And for me, camera being one of the primary things for me, yeah. the camera experience is superlative. So why would I go anywhere else, mm. you know? So before, I want I definitely want to talk about the Essential in a minute as we're talking about pure Android, but one quick question for you. When you're traveling, do you take a proper camera with you still, or do you kind of solely use your mobile device nowadays? Uh, mostly I always pack some sort of camera with me, mostly mm. because I'm an, I'm a bit old fashioned and, you know, as a tech journalist, having done this for a long time, I still, you know, go to my, so I've, I have a number of real, if you want to call it real, I hate that word. I'll put it mm. in quotes, real cameras with me, um, that I take, I always take only one of them, but I have like a Sony NEX, um, an older one body with a bunch of lenses. Um, APS-C, right? And I have a, a Fujifilm X30, which is kind of a, a one of the entry level on the X series of fixed lens um, mm. uh, with tons of manual control type cameras. Uh, and then I have, um, you know, I have access. I don't own these, but I have access to like a, a Canon 5D Mark IV. And yeah. in the past, I've had access to a, a Nikon D800E. So I've played with all those and I've played with the Sony Alpha 7s as well, which I think mm. are probably the best cameras in the market today uh, in terms of versatility and, and if you don't do too much video. Um, although there's different models for different purposes, right? But the reason I take one of them with me usually is because I know them so well, Paul, mm. that because I change phones so much, it takes me a while to kind of get a grasp for what, you know, what does this camera do well and what does it not do well? Yeah. And um, I find that I don't, you know, when it's mission critical for me to get images of something quickly at a trade show like CS or Mobile Congress, you know, I do a lot of um, event mm. coverage for Mobile Geeks, for Nicole and, and her team. So I, I want to produce photos quickly and accurately, and I know exactly what's going to come out of my cameras depending on you know yeah with an nex is what lenses i use and with x30 i know it well enough that i know what settings to use and so with the phones i've used phones extensively for product photography but um i find that you know wide angle lenses are just not well suited for that in general mm. for the kind of photography i do so it's actually interesting i find that the zoom lens in the note 8 and in the one plus and uh one plus five and in the uh you know uh iPhone uh, mm. seven. Well, all of the dual camera iPhones. I guess, I guess it started with yeah. the seven, right? Seven plus, eight plus, and ten are actually well suited to product photography mm. Uh, mm. Yeah. because they're narrower angle. So what I do is I um, 
I need OIS, of course. So all the iPhones but the 10 are out because you need OIS in these conditions. Um, and the Note 8 is the only other one, really. So I've been playing with the Note 8 for product photography and gotten some really good results. So I don't think we're too far from a time when I won't bring a camera with me anymore. Yeah. That yeah. being said, right now I'm in Morocco. I'm obviously enjoying taking photos for, you know, for pleasure. Um, mm. Having a fully kind of analog experience in terms of the settings, right? Like having wheels mm. and knobs <laughs> for everything is still a genuinely ex enjoyable experience. And honestly, I don't bring my NEX for that because my NEX doesn't really have that many dials. It's one of the lower yeah. end ones, but my X30 has every dial you can possibly imagine. So I <laughs> take that with me and I really have a lot of fun with it, but I'm always get frustrated with the posting my photos part, sharing my photos part, right? Because mm. then, you know, there's Wi-Fi on my X30, but I need a special app from Fuji to run it. And it's slow and unreliable. And so I end up just taking it off the SD card. And then I, I'm on a MacBook with USB-C. Mm. So I need a USB-C or a card reader or some sort of series of dongles to make it work. And, and eventually what happens is these photos get posted far later than the others. And, you know, I'm, I relish them. I've taken some phenomenal photos. I toured, uh, I drove around the island of Iceland two years ago and took some absolutely phenomenal photos with quote unquote, a real camera, but it took me a while to finally get them out in the world. And, and yeah. that's the problem I have. That's why I love camera phones is that I can share right there. I can literally seconds after I've experienced it, give that goodness to my friends and family, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I've always got you know whichever phone I have at the moment that's got the best camera, and then if I'm on holiday or as you uh, trade shows, you say I've got uh, EOS M3 that I use. Nice. And uh, yeah, the I mean it's compact. Um, you know, I rocks D, uh, DSLRs for ages, but never took them anywhere because they're too big. So the Canon's ideal for you know if you want an optical zoom, for example, you know when you're away on holiday, you want a good optical zoom, you know smartphones just don't live up to that at the moment and as no. you say the canon you need like the canon app to get pictures off it which is a little bit rubbish but it's good enough so yeah i, I, I can't quite until we get a optical zoom in a camera in a phone i suppose i can't completely replace it but it's interesting you mentioned the like two times zoom on a note 8 um the hybrid zoom is something i've been particularly impressed with on the mate 10 pro yeah so, so i do only got to play with it hands-on i can't wait to get one how tell us about that experience how is it um, it's good enough that when I'm using the Pixel 2 XL, so probably worth talking about the phones I'm kind of carrying around at the moment. I'm carrying around a Mate 10 Pro, um, European model, uh, dual SIM version. I've got a Pixel 2 XL and the Essential phone. And when I switch to the Pixel 2 XL, which is kind of my main one, I suppose, of the three, I really miss that two times hybrid zoom because it is that good. Yes. So yeah, the Pixel is very much a... You know, they, they're not encouraging you to do any manual controls or fiddle with it at all. It's just point and shoot, whereas the exactly. Leica-branded Huawei is kind of the opposite. You know, there's 12 different modes and pro modes, and you can yeah. change everything. That's why I love my V30, and I also love the ultra-wide angle. Like, capturing mm. a lot when I'm close up to something uh, is very, very good. So, you know, it's interesting. When I want to do wide angle, I use like I use the V30. When I want to do zoom photography, I use the Note 8. Those are two of the phone I'm carrying mm. around right now. And then when I just want to do my main photography, like especially low light stuff, Pixel XL 2. 
And then the, the mm. fourth pocket is, I always carry four because <laughs> I got cargo pants. The fourth pocket <laughs> is just whatever I'm reviewing at the time right now. And then, of course, eventually yeah. the V30 and the Note 8 will get deprecated and replaced by something else. There's a good chance that when I finally get my hands on an iPhone 10, I honestly haven't tried too hard, uh, but I will eventually get one. Uh, I will mm. replace that. Uh, I will replace the Note 8 with it simply because I feel that it'll probably give me that zoom performance that I'm looking for. Yeah, I've got a iPhone 10 coming next week, I believe. Um, just want to play with it with my daughter to try out some karaoke animoji as much as Oh my God, else. it's so fun. So. Like this is honestly a completely unexpected <laughs> thing that has made me <laughs> smile and be happy in this kind of like, I realize how stupid it is, but at the same time, I'm <laughs> just like, it was designed for that. And, you know, Harry McCracken, mm. uh, a fast company, who's a good friend of mine, kind of coined this phrase uh, in an article recently, and it's kind of taken off since then. And and I I want to give him credit because a few, very few people know that he came up with it. And and it's great, right? I have so much fun. Yeah. So a, um, finally a if, good use for that. <laughs> if you haven't seen this already, do a search for Animoji Karaoke. There's a Bohemian Rhapsody one. That's had a bit of oh, yeah. uh, kind of love put into it. And yeah, it's awesome. Really good. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me about, um, so you bought, did you buy the Mate 10 or is this a, a, a review uh, Yeah. Mate 10 is a press unit. Uh, okay. I've got a Pixel 2, which is, or Pixel 2 XL, which is press unit. So I, what two phones I have brought lately though, are the Mi Mix 2, um, which is just, uh, it's just been announced. It's coming to Europe in uh, via Spain initially, um, but that kind of means if it's selling in Spain, you'll get a European warranty and of European, course, yeah. you know, customs free delivery. So it's effectively launching everywhere. So I brought one of those and that's great. And I actually gave it away on Twitter as well. And I've got an essential phone, which is. So tell me what was your thinking behind buying that phone? Because look, I, uh, I want to say something. I was really excited when it was first announced because I'm a kind of a big fan of what Andy Rubin did with Android. And, mm. and I like the idea of titanium and ceramic. And I was like, you know, edge to edge display, compact phone, I'm on board. And then, mm. you know, I didn't get one early on. I tried, but you know, obviously I'm not, you guys need to have more subscribers join my podcast guys. So I can get stuff easier. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the point is that, um, I finally got a review unit like two weeks ago and I've been mm. using it, but what the reason I was excited was because it looked really interesting and different. And then, you know, the reviews started coming in, how the camera really needed some work. And then obviously they've improved the software now. And I think it's gotten to a point where it's acceptable, but just like the OnePlus five, um, it's acceptable today yeah. in a flagship world, you need to be beyond acceptable. You need to be competitive. And I don't think they're quite there, these two phones, mm. but I digress. What I'm getting to is that I, feel this phone is really interesting, but I don't think I would have bought it. So yeah, what was I'm, your, what was your <laughs> thoughts there? <laughs> well, there's two things. First of all, it, it kind of been in the back of my mind for a while that I quite like to, you know, try it. And, you know, I hadn't really pursued it particularly with essential with regards to getting hold of one, um, primarily because it's not available in the UK to buy. Um, but then it dropped in price and I thought, oh yeah, maybe, maybe this, it's the time to go for it. And then they issued the, $200 friend and family coupons. Um, and I was sent yeah. one of them or offered, or uh, a friend kindly offered me one of those. So that brought the price down into a bit of an impulse purchase territory. So 
I really like it. If you take if you take the camera completely out of the equation, um, I'd be using this as my daily driver. I think you know the size is awesome. You know, you've got a I big love screen. the size. I'm really impressed with the size. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes the Pixel Two XL feel like a beast from ten a years monster. ago. You know, <laughs> the Pixel Two XL has a lot of issues. It's clear that yeah. Google and you know worked with LG on this because they wanted to save costs. And because LG is able to make phones pretty cheaply, you know, and, and cheaply, mm. not necessarily always in the good sense of the word. Uh, yeah. So the amount of bezels around the that V30 screen that they embedded in the Pixel 2 XL is is incredibly monumental, in my opinion, for mm. a quote unquote edgeless design with an ultra wide screen. I mean, it's probably the le the worst example of that trend. If you look at it side by side with the V30, it's very obvious right mm, mm. so i um, don't think it's the best design in that sense yeah i quite like um i had the me mix 2 first and that's ceramic back and the ceramic Man, felt awesome and it's awesome on the i uh, love the me mix 2 i just got a yeah. unit a couple of weeks ago as well so i've been kind of driving them in parallel those two phones essential and me mix side by side mm. of course the me mix 2 is bigger but yeah um, if I had to choose design-wise, honestly, I think the Mi Mix 2 wins. But the size mm. makes the Essential, I think, so much, yeah. I don't know, better or nicer. Yeah. Mm. I think the, for me personally, having the camera on the wrong end of the Mi Mix 2 is a bit of a non-issue. Um, oh, the I, front I don't really, one, yeah. I don't really care yeah. about selfies, so I don't, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for selfies, it's actually fine because you go into selfie mode and you flip the phone upside down. If you're doing, if you're doing video calling or something, it'd probably be quite annoying. Um, or if third party apps didn't support it fully, but yeah, the me, the me mix two is a great phone, but you've got to, I mean, it's me UI. So it's about as far away from stock Android as you can possibly I get. I know. I mean, Huawei has come downer. around, but for sure. I mean, Huawei has come around with a UI, but Xiaomi mm. is still wide away from, you know, yeah, wow, I think it's painful. the real, the real change we need that will unlock um, stock Android in these kind of devices is um, proper Google Play Store for China. You know, until we have yeah. GMS for China, it's effectively, you know, there has to be a EMUI and there has to be a MIUI because if they don't have that, there's nothing, you know, if they're selling devices in China. so For sure, yeah. Oh, a, a, so, an interesting phone I had as well, actually, just recently, while we're on that topic, uh -huh. is the Aquos, Aquos S2, the Sharp. Oh, so yeah, so the same display, isn't it? Or similar display to the Essential? Yeah, effectively, the same display as the Essential. I mean, the fingerprint reader's on the front, but yeah. And, and that's got its own custom UI as well. So obviously, again, that sells in those sort of territories, so they've gone down the same route. But there's, there's just so many interesting phones at the moment, don't you think? That's well crazy. i think it is and you know i mean you can't it's so amazing this it's kind of like cars today where it's it, it takes a particular effort to buy a bad car you know yeah there is at every price point in every performance and utility level most cars are going to be just fine for people and i think phones are getting there and it's in the flagship world you can't go wrong i mean you just can't mm. And and that wasn't always the case. I think there are some that are missing out a little bit, like the Essential, the OnePlus 5, and the Moto Z2 Force are the three mm. flagships that I would not recommend for camera purposes. Mm. But, you know, 
And then, you know, there's issues with some because they're missing the headphone jack, you know, the, the U11, yeah. the Pixel 2 XL, the, the again, very the much essential, a, essential very much a personal. Yeah, It's exactly. a personal preference thing, isn't it? So I've got um, a good friend of mine, you know, he's he buys phones and he never uses the camera. I mean, that seems strange to me, but, you know, we're all different, aren't we? So. <laughs> sure, yeah. You mentioned uh, cars and uh, I understand you've, you've parted ways with your Golf now, is that right? Yeah, so my Golf R was a leased car. You know, as a business owner, my tax folks are always looking out for the best mm -hmm. solution for my business. And I leased the Golf R uh, for, I think, three years or something. And it was due to mm -hmm. go back. And um, I, I miss it. It was a fantastic car for the money. Um, but I'm mm -hmm. kind of also glad that I moved on to something else. Because, you know, I think that if you're a car enthusiast, variety is the spice of life. And we we you know mm. we're not not all of us are harry metcalf and can afford a garage like his uh <laughs> in case you don't know who i'm talking about that's the former editor-in-chief of evo magazine a uk magazine about cars and you know just like jay leno he has quite the extensive garage um and you know when you can't afford to have all the cars you want to switch cars often is what i'm finding mm. is i'm happiest when i keep a car two years and and get different experiences, you know? So I went from owning a lot of front-wheel drive cars over the years to, um, you know, owning some rear-drive front-engine cars like BMWs um, to owning, uh, you know, an all-wheel drive car, um, mm. you know, which was front-wheel based, uh, like the Golf R. And the next thing I wanted to do was mid-engine rear-drive. And so I bought a used Porsche Boxster. And mm. it's been phenomenal. It's been an amazing experience. It's really turned me on to Porsches. Not that I didn't like them before, but I just always thought, you know, what's the big deal? They're just another great sports car. But now I kind of get it. And now I want a 911, of course. And that's the next thing that's going to happen, <laughs> which, as we all know, the engine is completely in the wrong place. But I've driven a <laughs> few of them now and I've caught the bug. It's a completely <laughs> unique experience that just puts a smile on your face every time and especially yeah. in natural naturally aspirated form um speaking of which and since you're a car nut maybe you can relate to this i recently had the opportunity to drive a a 996 turbo which is the early 2000s mm. um 911 and you know it was one of those cars that put on a pedestal because it it almost has supercar pedigree um mm. and i was extremely disappointed actually it's very sterile hmm. um and it's so fast that you can't really use it um you know um and so my takeaway was that i would rather have a car that was had more feed feeling and feedback and was less uh you know was less hmm. of a of a monster in terms of its ability to 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 master everything grip speed acceleration um and where I had to work more as a driver to really enjoy it and get something out of it. And, and I found so far in all my various experiences that the naturally aspirated rear wheel drive 911s are my thing. I would not get a four wheel drive 911. I feel that you lose something somehow, even though on paper, it's a better car, better grip, you know, certainly better all weather experience. But yeah, I'm learning a lot. And so this has been an experience. It's also the first car I've bought mm -hmm. in a long time that's a used car. So yeah, yeah. there you go. What about you? Have what you do still you drive? Got your, uh, 
Go on. Uh, I was, we've got um, we've got an Audi A4 at the moment that oh. we're just coming up. It's going to be two years old in uh, probably March next year, I think it is. So we're um, trading that in, and I've got a Golf GTE on order. So oh, you I, said that to me when we were talking. Ha, yeah. That's an interesting one. We don't get this one in the US or in North America. So that is mm. a hybrid electric performance yeah. golf, correct? Yeah. So um, it's in the UK, we have the GTI, obviously, and we have the GTD, which is a right. kind of GTI style, but a diesel. Uh -huh. And then we have the GTE, which has the... Uh, 1.4 litre turbo engine that's kind of doing the rounds across the whole Volkswagen Audi group at the moment. Um, but then it has this electric motor as well um, that gives you kind of 25 to 30 miles of real world range. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's all kitted up like a GTI and um, DSG gearbox, all that kind of stuff. Can and, you uh, get we it test with a it manual and, though? No, no, uh, DSG only in the GTE. Oh, that's too bad. So I mean, don't get me wrong, the TSGs are amazing mm. gear boxes. There's nothing wrong with them. I just personally feel that I want to, you know, I still want that experience of rowing my own gears. Um, and I'm surprised mm. that they don't make that available with a stick shift, especially in Europe. Oh, well. Yeah, it's interesting. We we had um, our last car was a um, another car you don't get over there, a Skoda Octavia VRS. Uh -huh. And we had, that in the, we had that in a DSG and it was nice. So we went for a manual gearbox this time. But when we test drove the GTE, because of the kind of electric motor, and you can run it in a whole bunch of modes. You can run it in full electric, hybrid, petrol, charging the battery, petrol, maintaining the battery, charge, all sorts of things. But when you're running it in pure electric mode, which you can do up to 80 mile an hour or something, you know, it's just the smoothness of the GSG gearbox just really works well with the electric motor. So, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's nice. You know, the so only car that fun. we... The car that we have that is closest to that and is probably drivetrain-wise identical is the Audi A3 e-tron here in the... That's well, right, yeah. Not here because I'm in Morocco. But back in the US, that's the only <laughs> one we have that I think is close to that. Yeah, I think it's the same drivetrain, basically, but in a yeah A3. So. In an A3 um, hatchback mm. chassis uh, body, yeah, I mean. yeah. So, what has been your yeah. experience with electric cars? By the way, have you have you driven any? Are you are you into the? I mean, obviously, you're getting a GTE probably because you do need range or you mm. have uh, you have issues accessing electric charging yeah. infrastructure right now. Um, yeah, the reason a GTE works for us is because a lot of our journeys are local, so we'll be able to charge at home. We have a driveway and a garage at home, nice. So we'll be able to charge here. Occasionally, we need to do, you know, long journeys, so it's nice to have the petrol back up. And the main reason for it is I kind of want to get into electric vehicles. Uh, I can't afford a Model S, sadly. <laughs> um, Renault did lend me a car called a Zoe um, that we yeah, have over here for a couple of weeks. For and those of does, you who you know, don't know European cars, it's very similar to a Leaf uh, from Nissan, mm. since Renault and Nissan are very much the same company. Um, but probably sportier because Renault makes really fun cars. So um, anyway, as a side note, carry on. Yeah, so I had the Zoe for a couple of weeks, and that was my first experience of an electric car. So um, the the experience was great. You know, it did 130 miles or something, and just driving around in silence. There was no gearbox on that. It just kind of went. 
And I thought, yeah, electric cars are something I really want to get into. Um, we're leasing this one. I, I'm not sure if it's a sensible time to buy an electric car, you know, with how the industry is going to Oh, yeah. I mean, I would not own years. one. I think it's a bad idea to own one. If you get an electric mm. car right now, lease it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just think it's going to be fun. It's uh, it's like a, another big gadget, you know, that it's got the, um, you know, the displays that the Volkswagen Group have where it's all an LCD display instead of the regular instruments. It's got yeah. that and lo loads of stuff to mess around with that Android Auto, all that kind of good stuff. So, wow, yeah, awesome I've Android got, Auto, that's great. I, uh, have this, I honestly um, haven't had a car with either CarPlay or Android Auto yet, so I really don't know what <laughs> the experience is like. Yeah, we brought our A4, um, and it was the new model range, so it got Android Auto. And I've got to say, you know, obviously built in sat navs in cars and all the in car entertainment stuff is complete crap, isn't it? But then yeah, it's terrible. You add Android Auto into the mix, and it just works so well that yeah, blown away. Let really. me let me tell my, the listeners about something. I in my Porsche, it's a 2001 Boxster S, and I have a single din uh, radio from Porsche, the the, the factory one that um, has a cassette player and <laughs> a, a radio, uh, AM FM, and can control an external cd changer which i also have um so that's what the spec was and you could get instead the same head unit but instead of a cassette slot it had a cd slot so uh and it could also control a cd changer and that was an option um so i didn't pick these obviously the person who bought the car originally picked that that system and you're gonna say this like the dark ages of car stereo here mm -hmm. but no let me tell you there is a bose sound system i'm not a big fan of bose but i have to say that this sound system is extremely high quality sounds absolutely phenomenal and how do i make how do i use it how do i take advantage of it in 2017 since it doesn't have auxiliary bluetooth or usb mm -hmm. you're gonna say well it's very simple there's a three dollar cable you can buy on amazon where you pull out the radio and you disconnect the CD changer that's in the front boot, the front trunk mm. of the car in the Porsche, and you plug this cable into it instead, and then you run that cable somewhere into the cabin, and all of a sudden you have auxiliary input. And so guess that's what? Cool. That's all I need. I mean, I could buy a Bluetooth adapter that would feed through this cable. I could buy some sort of device that could decode USB a signal from, you know, an iPhone or an Android phone or a USB stick and play that. But why bother when I have a smartphone hmm. with a headphone jack? Oh, wait, my Pixel 2 XL <laughs> does not have a headphone jack. But I obviously have the adapter. The point I'm making is that I'm having a phenomenal audio experience in my car right now, despite it being 16 years old, because of the auxiliary connector that I was able to install. The sound quality is flawless. And sadly, too many phones are lacking headphone jacks. And this is in a situation like this is where you really start to suffer. If I forget my adapter, I am screwed. Well, not screwed because I usually have four phones on me. So one of them will mm -hmm. have a headphone jack, but that's going to go away. And I'm going to start hurting about that. And, you know, um, yes, I can't take calls because there's no built in microphone to take calls. But, you know, I'll be frank with you guys. Call me old school. And, you know, I'm a driver. I like to drive. When I'm in my car, don't call me because I'm not going to answer anyway. Even if I had Bluetooth, it's like 
I want to drive. I'm not wanting to, I don't want to talk to you. Maybe I want to listen to a podcast. Maybe I want to listen to music, but I'm not going to talk to you anyway. So not having the ability to take calls is really a non-issue right now. You know, if it's really urgent, somebody will keep calling me and I'll pull over on the side of the road and take the call. But hey, so what's your, you know, not everybody's what's your like that. What's your thoughts on the whole three and a half millimeter jack thing? I mean, why, why is oh everyone getting rid of it? This has you know? been mentioned on so many of my podcasts now, and I've ranted so much. Well, the quick answer <laughs> is, I think that manufacturers are trying to save a little bit of money um, by putting, by and, and space, by removing the headphone jack. The headphone jack is, is, makes it harder to waterproof phones. It's not impossible, but harder. It makes, uh, it's, a, it's a breaking point, right? Like it's the most fragile connector on your device. Remember USB type C, the connector was designed to be rugged. So it's a little more rugged. 3.5 is a legacy connector. It's really hard to make a rugged 3.5 millimeter connector. Um, then you have the issue of needing a DAC and a headphone amp. Um, so you can save space by removing it, not having a DAC, not having a headphone amp. Mm -hmm. And US, using USB, especially uh, digital USB. S and, and that's, I think, why it's happening. And with Apple basically writing a blank check to every other manufacturer saying, look, we did it first. Technically, they didn't, but they claim we did but, it yeah. first. <laughs> and, you know, we set the way and we are one of the major players is, is why others are doing it. Now, it's interesting that Samsung so far has not done it. LG hasn't done it either. But I think it's only a matter of time. You know, Huawei did it on the Mate 10 Pro. The Mate 10 still has a headphone jack, but things are changing and, and it drives me nuts. As an audiophile, I have, you know, at least 20 different headphones and earbuds that are really high quality, some dating all the way back from to the 80s that, you know, gave me quite a huge variety of listening experiences that no wireless and USB device can replicate. I'm sorry. Uh, unless, of course, I get adapters or like a aptX, um, you know, Bluetooth receiver that has a headphone jack on it. There are a few of those out there. Um, but, but why all this complexity? More things to charge, more things I can break, more things that I can lose. Uh, it drives me nuts. And, and I think that, you know, I think it's, if you survey most people, not even just our listeners and the tech savvy folks you and I know, mm -hmm. but just the average consumer out there, it's it's user hostile. They don't yeah. want to lose the headphone jack. Some yeah. of them don't yeah. think it's a big deal because they don't use it. But ultimately, there is always one point where they're in their friend's car and they need to plug in, but there's no adapter with them that day. And then they're then they're upset. And and so why do we need this? The industry is just going the wrong direction here. Yeah, I see it. My daughter uses an iPhone 7, um, so no headphone jack on there. And just the amount of pain it causes her in her everyday use of the phone, you know, finding the jack to plug her headphones in, you know, wanting to charge at the same time and needing a different jack. And obviously it's an iPhone, so you need to basically charge it all the time. It's just such a, <laughs> an, yeah. it's a ludic ludicrous change, really, really. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, and it, when I saw Google who last year made fun of Apple with the Pixel by retaining the headphone jack, removing mm. it this year, like HTC and Google removing the headphone jack to me is yeah. crazy because they don't have any market penetration. Like they're yeah. nobody in the phone business. How could, dare they antagonize mm -hmm. potentially their customer base? 
by doing this just because they want to take a stand. I just don't get it. You know, I mean, Essential and Xiaomi, I can kind of see because, you know, they're they're new players or niche players. Nobody cares. But, you know, yeah. HTC and Google have enough momentum that it matters, but not enough momentum that they, you know, kind of bend the yeah. market to their will. If Samsung had removed the headphone jack or when they do, it'll be the apocalypse. It'll be the end of the <laughs> world, Paul, because that will mark <laughs> the beginning of where guaranteed everyone else will do it. Yeah. Right. You know what I found quite strange actually is that um we haven't talked about this device actually yet, but the new Razer phone. Um no headphone jack. Oh either. yeah, that that is something that I'm looking forward to getting my hands on. So yeah. what what are your thought on that? What were you going to say about it? Um I, th I as a kind of given the target market is going for I, I think it's kind of weird that they've taken the headphone jack off because you know, uh, as a gamer, yeah, every gamer right? I know is basically always got a set of headphones on. So yeah, that's a bit odd. Well, um, remember that, and you and on the you and Spence on the podcast last week made a very good point about that. He said, "Remember that the Razer phone is not a gaming phone; it is a phone for gamers." Yeah, but gamers so, have headphones. <laughs> you know, I agree with um, you. This, you know, but it does decrease the, you know. The criticality mm. a little bit in my eyes, but not as much as it should. I mean, ultimately, it's a yeah. bad idea. I don't know why they did it. But um, I think the phone looks okay. I mean, it looks like a Robin made out of aluminium, as it's correct. Yeah, it looked like the Darth Vader know. version of the Robin. Yeah, yeah. Um, specs are all, you know, super high. Um, screen looks really interesting um, with a 120 hertz. But um, yeah, I haven't seen one in the flesh yet, so I can't really. Neither have I. Just but, yet. Um, so. Ewan was saying that he has a review unit and he said that 120 hertz with the right games, like mm. games optimized for that, is insane. It's amazing. Um, yeah. It's so fluid. And I can believe that having seen 120 hertz on PCs. Yeah. Um, so listen, we have like 10, 10 minutes left and I wanted to, I mean, we've, I think we've talked about everything we want to talk about <laughs> in, in bits, in pieces. We have also talked about cars, which is kind of cool. And if you guys don't like the fact that I sometimes talk about cars on the podcast, tough shit. You know, I mean, look, <laughs> the reality is, you know, I'm a car buff. Mobile tech podcasts. Cars are mobile tech these days. All of them. <laughs> um, especially the electric ones. I've got a Model 3 on order. So hopefully I'll, maybe I'll get it someday at this point. Maybe. Um, but um I'm, I'm a, look, I'm a big believer in Tesla. I, I really want them to change things for the better for the industry. And I think it's going to happen. It's just going to have some, there's going to be ups and downs and growing pains, but my eggs are still in that basket. Do you um, think, do you think, do you think they're going to do it in time though? Because, you know, the big traditional players like Volkswagen, you know, are going to go hard at this space very soon. The um, and thing they, is they that can... until someone, until someone can replicate the supercharging network worldwide, as Tesla wins, mm. because to me, that's the critical part. And nobody's been willing to invest in it yet. GM's talking about it. BMW's talking about it. Volkswagen's talking about it. Nobody's doing it until they do, until every 200 miles of the free of all the major freeways in the US, I can charge in less than half an hour, which is currently the case for the Teslas. You, mm. you can't talk to me about having a competitive advantage in the electric car world. You don't exist. You're irrelevant. <laughs> That's my opinion. Yeah, That's Tesla, guys, I love the Teslas because <laughs> they're sleek, they're real-wheel drive and all-wheel drive and beautiful cars. But it's not why I want a Model 3. It's the charging network. 
It's the infrastructure. That is what we need. That's what makes a difference here for electric. Mm. If people mm. can't see that, they forget it. Like there's no reason ever that the e-golf or the Chevy Bolt, even if they end up having 300 mile range, are going to be successful because you know, people who charge at home don't need a 300 mile range. They, they just use it around town and they're perfectly happy with a hundred miles range because they just need to run errands. But if people want to do the kind of travel that countries like the US require, which is huge distances. I travel from San Francisco to Portland all the time. It's 10 hours by car. <laughs> you need infrastructure. Yeah, you see 300 and miles gets Tesla you. that's uh... brings that nobody has. 300 miles gets you basically halfway across the country here. So, you know, it's all good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's a different thing. So um, I want to talk about ROMs a little bit. Pick your brains mm -hmm. about a few questions that I've always had, and maybe you can answer. Um, I'm obviously, as an aside, you know, we're a couple of days away from the 5T launch. So this is the big news of the week. And next week uh, on the podcast, we will talk all about the OnePlus 5T. So just be aware that's coming. So quick ROM questions. What mm. is the state of the custom ROM world? Um, I think it's still there, but it's definitely reduced in popularity over the past few years. And I think this is symptomatic of manuf manufacturers just getting a lot better at, you know, doing their devices. You know, you no longer have to squeeze every ounce of performance out of a device. That helps, you know, uh, I'm thinking about the motivations for why people have been using ROMs in the past. Um, one big thing, of course, is manufacturers abandoning devices and them not getting updates. So that is still a big thing. Mm. And formerly Cyanogen, now Lineage OS is still filling that space. But I just, I don't think people are so inclined to flash ROMs to their devices anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, I've always felt that way too, but I, I did understand that for some people who wanted to get the updates and weren't going to get them, or for mm. people who had older devices that wanted to, you know, eke the last little bit of life out of them, ROMs are mm. a really great solution. But I know people who buy a flagship today. A friend of mine just recently bought a OnePlus 5, and they didn't even try it with the built-in OS. <laughs> And I can't yeah. wrap my head around that. I don't understand it. I'll tell you why. My fear of using custom ROMs is not reliability or security or anything like that. I have no doubt that you can enjoy a third-party ROM. I mean, Cyanogen was a good example of doing things way better mm. than stock ROMs for years. But my biggest fear is tight integration with the hardware is lost. Like mm. camera performance today is an OS-level thing. It is not in a camera app thing and an infrastructure thing in the US, not so much just a app that you can install. So why compromise and risk, you know, throwing that stuff away yeah, when some people, you install custom ROM, right? People do get very attached to features in specific ROMs, you know, for a lot of people, you know, not myself nowadays so much, but in the past, you know, it's just kind of fun to flash a new ROM every week. You know, it, it does give you root ultimate customizability, you know, Magisk and, you know, exposed and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think what's really interesting to me around custom ROMs is where they're going to go over the next year or two when Project Project Treble becomes a lot more popular mm -hmm. on devices because we're theoretically slicing Android up now such that you'll be able to drop your ROM on top 
and still get all those bits that you're talking about with the tight integration that's great yeah then so i mean that, that's a nirvana isn't it so you can if you can buy a huawei mate 10 pro you know keep the huawei bits underneath get rid of emui put stock android on top you know that'd be awesome that i'd uh, be on board think, for, for sure i think that's where we're going i think that's where we're going to get to i think project treble will enable that sort of thing and it will also i don't know how you feel about this but i think it's only a matter of time before we see google pushing security updates separately from manufacturer security updates it has to happen i mean this whole yeah. fiasco of the carriers updating phones and manufacturers updating phones is i cannot believe that's still going on 10 years yeah. into android like oh what a disaster yeah i was uh i was talking to someone just today actually and they were saying oh my uh I've got this phone, and to be clear, this is a phone you can go and buy in a shop today. And he's saying, oh, the security update says March. And, like, have I missed any updates? You know, I had a little look around. <laughs> no, that is wow. that is actually the latest update. And it's by, you know, far from an isolated case. So, I mean, it's just insane. That should be pushed out every month. It should be taken away from... It needs to either be taken away from the carriers and the manufacturers, or they need to be obliged to do it in order to license android google really needs to get a handle on it yeah i think they're getting there i think it's it's you know legacy lots of years of legacy of that openness of android that's biting them in the ass now um that they mm. have to kind of work around you know um yeah but one question i've always been curious about is if you have an older device right now and you find mm. it in a drawer and it's not bad like say a Nexus 5, right? Or or something like that, that, that still to this day is a viable piece of tech or a phone that at the time was pretty good. What are the ROMs that are out there that are really the best? Or rather, what are the devices that you hope to find in a drawer because you can flash them with something that is still somewhat usable today? Um, by far, the driver for having a good availability of custom ROMs is just it being a popular device in terms of sales. So mm -hmm. there are plenty of great devices out there um, where there's effectively no development community because just not enough people bought them. And the majority of people who are developing custom ROMs are people who are, you know, paying for devices with their own money, of course, you know, will and that then therefore be a reflection of the public at large. You know, you buy a Samsung phone, you're pretty safe. You know, there's going to be uh, plenty of custom ROMs out there. Um, right. Yeah. The, the, the only slight kind of change there is that it also will depend a little bit on the openness of the manufacturer for releasing source code and that kind of thing. Um, so mm -hmm. Huawei's aren't great. Nexus is brilliant. But anything also that's had a... Also the kind of chipset you have, right? So Qualcomm is probably well supported up to a point mm -hmm. until they stop supporting drivers and making updates available for those drivers, I presume. Yeah, yeah, you're always best off going with Qualcomm. Um, MediaTek, not so good. Um, Kirin is getting a lot better. It's pretty closed until recently. Um, it's interesting to see actually how Kirin as a chipset has kind of grown over the past few years such that, honestly, the Mate 10 Pro is, you know, noticeably faster than the Pixel 2 in real use. And the Mate 9 as well was like wow. super, super fast. So, well, the Mate 9 was a phenomenally, actually, to be honest with you, for me, the one that I really noticed like a huge performance mm. leap forward compared to what I was yeah. using at the time was the Mate 8. Mm. When the Mate 8 came out, 
compared to anything else I had in my stable, including my Nexus 6P at the time, it mm. was uh, night and day. And and uh, I have to say the Mate 9 last year. And so this, you know, Huawei is onto something. I think the Karen chipset is, is really solid. And yeah. I haven't played with an Exynos-based Samsung phone in a really long time because, you know, America is the land of Qualcomm. <laughs> so we don't get too much choice there. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so your advice yeah. is popular devices. Is it yeah, true? Absolutely. Is it true that um, if you have an older Nexus, you're going to get better support in terms of ROMs than a non-Nexus? Or am I making an assumption here? Um, yeah, that's, pro that's probably fair to say, not least because Google make available AOSP that you can then build and flash straight onto a device. So that's a good stepping stone for developers to start from. So yeah, that is very helpful, but it becomes more difficult as devices become unsupported, obviously. Right. But um, we still have the uh, HTC HD2, don't we? Rocking on with Windows is Mobile. It running, is it running Android O yet? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I think it will just run everything forever. That's unbelievable. I think it will run <laughs> in 30 years. It'll still run whatever current version of whatever current OS <laughs> we have. That phone, I almost regret not getting one at the time because now I kind of want one just because it's do you remember, so cool. Do you remember when it came out and everyone was like, oh, this phone is massive. You know, it's too big. And I'm just. I remember I that. Remember and now it's sizes. tiny. I know. Yeah, it's a four. 4.3 inch screen. There you go. And we we're like, oh, you know, this this will never catch on. So, so here's a point of reference: the HTC U11 Life that's uh, that I just and the you know reviewed recently is is 5.2 inches. And in <laughs> case you've forgotten, all of you folks out there, the original Note was 5.3 inches. Think about that. That's mad, isn't it? I know it's <laughs> hard to wrap my head around it. Um, Phones used to be a lot smaller is basically what it is. Listen, yeah. Paul, we need to wrap it up. I want you to pitch yourself and tell people where they can find you online. And if you have a podcast or a website or whatever, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's easy. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Paul O'Brien. Um, and I'll link to everything from there. Um, Modico.com, paulobrien.net. But um, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know if you enjoyed the podcast and uh, be great to hear from you. Fantastic. So, uh, Paul, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, you guys know where to find me. I'm Tankerl on Twitter at TNKGRL. Like the comic book character, just drop the vowels. Um, <laughs> you can find me on YouTube uh, at YouTube slash YouTube.com uh, slash my full name, Miriam Joar, Miriam with a Y. Uh, and remember, the YouTube channel, you join, subscribe, because I show you the devices I discuss on the podcast. If you want to see a Mi Mix 2 and, a, and a, an essential phone close up, I did some unboxing videos. Go check it out. Um, all these phones we discussed today, except for the, actually even the Mate 10 and 10 Pro, I actually have hands-on video on my channel. So check those out and, um, you know, uh, stay tuned for the next podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Tell them to subscribe. MobileTechPodcast.com is URL. Once you go there, you can get the RSS feed and put that in your podcast app or find me on iTunes. Find me on Pocket Casts. And, you know, uh, come back next week. We'll, we'll be talking about the OnePlus 5T. Um, I have a bit of a surprise guest, so stay tuned for that. Thanks again, Paul, and bye, everybody. See ya. 
This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.